Nancy Pelosi rules <laughs> or uh, Kanye West 2024 oh, or as of Battalion Forever. I won't do any of these. Uh, but, but I will personalize them. Would love to you to get it there. What's the site again? DavidBenner.square.site. Can I ask you a really random question? Like, I know you won't be able to answer this, but I don't know how else to format this as a question. And it's better if it's a question, right? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Bring it. Um, how many famous Harry Trumans do you think there are? I mean, one, I, right? Like, there has to be one. There's one. There's yeah, only one. Yeah. yeah Harry. You tell me there's more than one? Yes. Yeah, so, so, first of all, here's the weirdest part to me. Um, so, Harry S. Truman, right? Sure. Yes. Um, the other Harry Truman, his middle initial is adjacent to S. It's Harry R. Truman. And he was the crazy old kook that wouldn't get off Mount St. Helens when they were like, hey, this thing's going to fucking blow any day now. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah he, was, he was like 84 years old. And he's like, I've been taking care of the mountain. If the mountain's going to blow up, I'm going to blow up. Like, yeah. So he died. Oh, yeah. So he's dead. Y'all let me in this damn house. Should we hit record? Yeah. One, two, three. All right, you ready? I am ready. Are you recording? Yes. <laughs> All right, well, you want to start a show? Let's start a show. That podcast is filling your head with garbage. No offense taken there. Well, it sounds like none taken. I just hang out the maids. Welcome to Non Taken Friday Headline Roundup Edition. Scrap that again, because we're doing another interview. <laughs> I will do this one. I like saying this. Coming to you from the coast of the mighty Cumberland, all the way to the Pacific waters of El Cerrito, California. We are two coastal elites. Can't you tell? There's bodies of water in there. Because <laughs> I listen to 13 hours of podcasts a day and Alan watches three hours of cable news so you don't have to. We're your antidote to mainstream media. Well, another Friday is upon us, Alan. <laughs> what will we be doing? An interview. So I'm really excited to tell you all about this. We have our interview with David Benner. He has a book about Thomas Paine. And you might be thinking, who's Thomas Paine? And by which I would say, you're probably one of our American listeners, as my uh, <laughs> cunning joke. And also, you're about to find out. <laughs> yes, you are about to find out. Um, yeah, if, uh, if, you, if you hear that and you think, oh, I paid attention in civics, trust me, there are details about this man's life that you didn't know you would find fascinating. Um, I'll just, spoiler alert, man faced execution three times and escaped it. How about that? How about that? Bet you didn't know that. Uh, wait, I got a button when I say that. Isn't that something? Oh, how about that? You don't say. <laughs> so, uh, I, with no further ado, are you fine getting into the interview, bud? We bring you David Benner. Oh, he's ready. He's in the waiting room, Alan. Oh, he is? Yeah. Fuck around. Find out. <laughs> yeah. All right. Welcome back. Oh. I, I only have the camera set up so that I only see who's talking. So I, yeah. if you've been sitting there waiting, I apologize. <laughs> no, he just got back. I, uh, I have all three. Uh, all right. How you doing, man? How much, by the way, how, well, first of all, how are you? Good, man. Doing well. How, Hanging in there. I, I know it was a week or so when we set this up. Did, how, are you good with like half hour or so? Or did you give us a. Oh, t- totally. Okay, cool. 
sounds good. even more awesome. if you want half hours great uh we can talk and you know it's also tempting to keep going with uh this subject so <laughs> which i'm sure yeah. you could uh, appreciate having read everything he ever wrote so um yeah man i'm a masochist what can i say <laughs> <laughs> well let's uh let's get right into it so yeah david benner is here he uh he wrote a book um thomas Paine. is it a lifetime of rat of radical oh, man i i am a horrible host right now <laughs> Thomas Paine, a lifetime of radicalism. That's oh, true. I should have said that with you confidence. Had it. You had it the whole time. Man. <laughs> you were there. You were there. I was there. Um, so some of our listeners are, we actually have a pretty good um, set of international listeners, uh, but I think they probably got a better civics education than our American audience. So for our American <laughs> audience, would you mind taking a little bit of time and talking about who Thomas Paine was and why on earth anybody would consume every piece of writing that's at least available to read? <laughs> wow. Well, where do I start? There's so many angles to Thomas Paine's life, but really what I would say is he was the most um, most profound and probably the most infamous political radical of his time. He shaked the political establishments of three major countries, the United States, Britain, and France in various ways, and kind of made his mark on society in a way that few other figures from his time did. Now, he came from a time of very famous people we would consider you know many of the founding fathers famous but also was prominent in um kind of influencing the course of the french revolution so over on the other side of the sea napoleon and uh you know many other people of that time were influential but i mean i take it from john adams who was an adversary of pain when he said you know no man essentially has made such an impression on his age as pain has and begrudgingly he said call it then the age of pain and that's something that's really stuck with me wow that's awesome yeah. you know i love that you have radical in the title i was doing some research on on him in advance of this interview and i was like you know i'm an old punk rocker right and i was like this guy was punk rock before like in the 1760s <laughs> man i mean middle finger to the monarchy middle finger to the church like you know his pen got him in some trouble a few times like this guy seriously amazing dude amazing dude i understand why you found him so fascinating Totally. I mean, he was a purveyor of truth above and foremost, no matter how unpopular it was. He didn't care who he pissed off, mm -hmm. who he ruffled feathers with when it came to the monarchy. Certainly it was about the most radical opinion you could possibly have at the time that, you know, the monarchical connection to the North American colonies would be completely severed and replaced by a Republican system. He called for secession and it's right. again, radical again to, you know, uh, be a champion of that. Same thing with uh, religion. He wanted the complete separation of religion and state and in the rights of man, his seminal political treatise. He pointed to various American colonies, including Britain. I'm sorry, including uh, Virginia, which had done that. They had essentially dissolved all the bonds between the Anglican establishment and the state. And Paine thought it was essentially slavery over man's mind to do otherwise because it would compel people to, you know, swear religious oaths to a particular religion. And really that would command your conscience in a way it, it was like thought control to him. So how, which, which did he write first common sense or rights of man? Common sense that was written at the end of 1775. Um, to put it in perspective, this is a time after the battles of Lexington and Concord, which was essentially an attempt by the British authority to take the munitions stores 
uh, nearby Boston, such that patriots could not resist the the standing army that had occupied the city. This was after um, the Tea Acts, or I'm sorry, after the the Tea Party and what were called the Coercive Acts um, were levied upon them. And you know, various people wanted a reconciliation with Britain. It wasn't unheard of to hear that opinion, even in the presses of America, that you know this is kind of an odd, isolated incident in uh, up in Massachusetts. These ruffians are rebelling against you know a government that treats them so well but Payne said you know no this is the natural pushback against a government that's trying to enslave the people he believed that it was a constitutional crisis essentially because um the 1766 declaratory act that parliament had passed said you know even though we're rescinding the stamp act we have the right to bind these american colonies in quote always whatsoever and Payne mm-hmm. said if if there if they are able to bind all uh bind the colonies in all ways whatsoever there's no better definition for slavery on earth something to that effect wow so i i read a couple things about common sense so first of all i i believe i read that like on a per capita basis common sense was like the most widely distributed book other than the bible in, in history essentially is that true <laughs> i don't i don't know about history but in the united states or okay. in the colonies it i believe it was now you'll hear various figures about the number of sales that it had all the way from like a hundred thousand to five hundred thousand i think it pain at one time claimed five hundred thousand copies were printed i don't think that many were printed but mm-hmm. to just give the audience a gauge of how many people lived in the the north american colonies at that time it was about two and a half million i believe um yeah. so just think of that I do believe that, you know, many families had it. It certainly seems to have had, you know, an incredible effect and be almost as popular as the Bible as far as printed text goes. Um, so, yeah. And right, he, right. And he charged almost nothing for it, too, right? And then he, he donated renounced the proceeds his, to the war. I thought he renounced his patent for it. Yeah, you guys did some research. This is impressive, <laughs> right? So initially, yeah, he initially he planned for the proceeds to go to the funding of uh, the Continental Army. He wanted the proceeds to buy mittens and other clothing for George Washington's Continental Army. Um, eventually, he decided to yeah relinquish his copyright to the work, which would assure that it be it would be printed. Now there weren't as stringent of copyright laws back Mm -hmm. then, but there was a limited copyright law that applied to ownership for the printer and the, uh, the writer, but he relinquished that. So what that allowed was any other printer to take the exact words of common sense and print their own version. So there's thousands of different versions of common sense that were disseminated through the country. And one thing I want to say about common sense too, is that, its importance was that it it reached the common person. I mean, that's kind of taken in the name of it to some extent. uh, Payne initially wanted it to be called plain truth, but um, Payne had a knack for that that no one else did in his generation. Many of the founders that had supported independence and secession from the crown, um, you know, they were aristocrats. They had, you know, longstanding legalese, um, knowledge of legalese and uh, history and things like that. But common sense was boiled down talking points of why this needed to be done that was tangible for the common everyday working person. And he wrote it in a way that connected with them. He wrote like construction workers would talk today Mm -hmm. rather than like businessmen. So he believes that the constitution can only apply to the generation that agreed to it, something along those lines, right? 
Yeah, he did. Um, so w- w- in that context, he was talking about the British Constitution because ah. he got in kind of a debate with Edmund Burke, the famous parliamentarian that had thrown shade, up- shade upon the French Revolution. He said that, you know, these revolutionaries were erratic. Um, the British Constitution doesn't permit generations to choose their own ruler or alter or abolish their government as Paine believed ideologically all people on earth could. And Payne said not only um, was that insignificant, he said that he didn't believe Britain really had a constitution. And he didn't mean that he thought that they didn't have a constitutional tradition. They surely did. But he thought that their unwritten constitution wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't um, how to say it wasn't um, a feasible mechanism to limit government. He thought that man needed to come together and draw up what he called in common sense, a constitutional charter. This was a written constitution. And believe it or not, that in and of, of itself was a, an incredibly novel idea because the conception of a written constitution just didn't exist. Mm. The Romans didn't have it. The English didn't have it. They had a series of traditions and written documents and acts of the king and things like that that served as their constitution but he was calling for a written constitution but you're right um alan when you imply that Payne was a Lockean. he thought that government was established to protect life liberty and property and all free people that existed around the earth had the ability to dispose of that if they wished just like the original generation that established it had that ability as they wished burke did not believe that Payne did so how would that look like every 35 years you would like renew this document or yeah well what pain alludes to in in common sense is essentially the people's representatives would get together in convention and do this not unlike really what happened when they formed yeah. articles of confederation and then later the u.s constitution um there would be in independent states uh, individual elections to decide this question and this question alone and those people would meet in convention maul the different opinions on on what should be done come up with proposals and then you know determine whether it was it, it should be adopted that was essentially what the philadelphia convention did because the philadelphia convention that established the constitution met in may of 1787 drew up a document um, with 12 with representatives of 12 states and then each individual state on the basis of this type of convention would decide whether to adopt it. Payne was thinking the same thing, but this should be practiced at any time uh, uh, people wanted to. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that would be you an interesting that- thing to see happen. Sorry, oh, I'm sorry. That would be an interesting same thing to imagine happening with our time now of culture wars, but perhaps we wouldn't be here if people felt more tied into their government by being like, yeah, that's actually a real thing. And every once in a while we you know, renew our vows, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, Payne had mixed opinions on the Constitution we live under now. He wasn't in the U- U.S. when ratification was playing out, but he later came to the conclusion that there were things that he liked about it and things that he didn't, much like Jefferson, actually. Yeah. Neither of them were like hardline Federalists or hardline anti-Federalists, the ones that opposed the Constitution. But um, Payne certainly thought that the Federalists became total charlatans Mm. just total totally duplicitous especially because they wanted to have a kindred association with britain over france and because of the alien and sedition acts so you mentioned earlier that he was a Lockean. He he really truly believed in that all men are created equal, right? I mean, he he believed in universal suffrage. He was anti-slavery, mm-hmm. um, so he thought everybody should vote, even women. Like that, and this is like you know, seventeen seventies, right? When he was holding these opinions. 
Absolutely. He was a very big egalitarian. He believed, yes, in universal suffrage, a complete abolitionist in a time when it was unpopular. Mm-hmm. In fact, yeah, one of the first significant things he did as publisher of the Pennsylvania Magazine, his his first job was a publisher of that that newspaper in Philadelphia when he came over in 1774, was he published a pamphlet called African Slavery in America. And it was really the first pamphlet of its kind to call for an abolition of slavery and an end to the slave trade and denounced it in no uncertain terms. And so these people possess natural rights. So yeah, e- even for his time, he was among the most radical of egalitarians there could be. His influence was felt in, not directly, but indirectly in the formation of Pennsylvania's first Republican constitution in 1776, which essentially allowed all um, males of the age 18 and older to vote. And, you know, people wouldn't think that that's that crazy today, but back then that was crazy. Almost everywhere had, you know, uh, property ownership thresholds in order to vote and things like that. But yeah, he was egalitarian and he carried that disposition into France. The model constitution he drew up called the Girondin constitutional model. It never went into effect, by the way, um, called for, you know, very egalitarian uh, concepts such as universal suffrage. You mentioned that magazine that he worked for. I I read a story. uh, Apparently he liked a little brandy now and then. (laughs) And I read a story about, um, he was hung over or whatever, didn't want to go in the office, and the owner came and got him. And the owner uh, commented that when he got him to the office, you know, he had, a, he had a couple sips of brandy, and he started to feel a little bit better, a couple more sips, and all of a sudden the words just started flowing out of him like magic. Do you, have you ever heard of this story? <laughs> the first part of that story does strike a chord. The second yeah. part I don't – I've uh, never okay. heard of. So it, it's true. Okay, so one of the things I do in the book is cast doubt on – the, the standard narrative that Payne was uh, as drunkard as some of his biographers has, mm. has said, as okay. much of a drunkard. He did like Brandy. There's no question about that. And there's no doubt he was drunk several times in his life. I think we have <laughs> good enough accounts to establish that. Um, but m- many of those accounts come from Federalist haters of his mm, and yeah. complete political opponents that didn't really know Payne very well. And it kind of grew and grew and took on its own life. Now, Payne, at one point at the end of his life, got to such an extent where um, he was just kind of despondent and had had kind of run his course in terms of politics and lost many friends due to um, the age of reason. We could talk about that later and his rift with Washington. And he was found in a tavern one time by a friend named William Carver, who said that, you know, when he found him, like his toenails were grown long. He, you know, he, and he was essentially covered by a layer of filth and he had to be taken in. It's true that he lived with Carver for a time. um, And the two had a dispute, which ended kind of their, uh, them being roommates for a while, but I think part of that's probably false, Alan. Okay, all right, good to know. Fact uh, he, checked. So, I one of my favorite uh, footnotes, sort of, I guess, of his life was that he was almost executed um, at least <laughs> once. What led? I'm thinking Twice. of the okay. I think I'm thinking of the time in France. Uh, which, Actually, I'll say three times. Okay, all right. Um, tell me about all three, please. But I'm I'm specifically curious, especially for our audience, about the time that sounds like a lucky accident. Very lucky, I think. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Okay. The first was he was sentenced um, to death for seditious libel in England for printing the rights of man part two. Now, among the many facets of the rights of man part two was a part of 
his pamphlet that called for essentially the the complete dissolution of the English monarchy. Hmm. He called for an end of the monarchy there. Um, He believed that monarchy itself was evil and the English system was the most evil monarchy of them all. I don't agree with him on that. But because (laughs) Can I show you these pyramids? Yeah, yeah. But because because he called for that, just think about that today. If you tweeted something like that, if you put out a yeah. video on YouTube, the government literally charges you uh, with seditious libel. And he was sentenced to execution, but he escaped the hangman by fleeing to France. And he was a total celebrity in France because the rights of man, parts one and two, were the best selling political treatises of all time. And at what Probably point is still the, today per capita? What year ish is that? Because uh, what's the French Revolution? Seventeen eighty six, seventeen ninety one, and seventeen ninety two were part rights of man part one ah, and two. But okay. French Revolution really kicked off in seventeen eighty nine. If 89. you go by like the traditional, um, okay dates, yeah. Um, okay, so that's one case. But when oh, he yes, flipped, more. he was made into a representative in France, served in a provisional government under the first French Republic. Um, and basically, while he was there, at one point, he forgot his his cockade hat with a tricolor. Um, <laughs> it was an emblem that stood for uh, the three parts of the French motto, uh, liberté, égalité, fraternité. Mm-hmm. And this was to symbolize all Republicans had this kind of hat with this emblem to symbolize that you were one of them. You believed in a republic. Um, when there was commotion that the king had fled to Austria in an event called the flight to Varennes, which many people may know about. Um, it, it stirred pain out of bed and he forgot his hat. He goes out to the rushing mob of people scattered around the city to find out what was going on. Caught up in a mob, almost strung up to be hung by a necktie on a street light. It was a traditional way of executing people by the mobs back then. Um, someone that knew English that he happened to know on the street talked the mob out of doing it. That's the second one. Wow. wow. The third one's probably the most interesting. So <laughs> More interesting Robes- than those. <laughs> yeah. And this is a lot. I get it. But I'll try to be succinct here. Yeah, so no. the third good. one is this. So pain uh, became... Payne, a crosshairs formed upon Payne's head because he pissed off the Jacobins. This is a political faction in France that called for the execution of King Louis the the 16th. They believed um, in the social compact theory of Rousseau. Um, You know, they were the most pro-democratic of all the French Republican factions. And uh, Payne riled their ire because he wanted to spare the life of King Louis the 16th. Um, he thought his problem with Fran- France's monarchy was systematic. It wasn't with Louis the 16th himself. In fact, relative to most Kings, he thought Louis the 16th was a good King. He had helped America in the revolution. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. But because of this, it got him thrown in prison during what was called the reign of terror. Mm-hmm. When the Jacobins took over, they started to um, get involved in jailing, persecuting and executing anyone that would be deemed as a counter-revolutionary someone that was opposed to the revolution and this was done on flimsy grounds Payne was thrown in luxembourg prison where he languished for eight months begging for his release begging for washington and you know his intermediary governor morris to intervene on his behalf press for his citizenship to no luck but here's how he escaped execution one day he was about to be executed and the prison crew that would mark the doors of those to be executed would mark an X on them. And what happened with Payne was the day he was supposed to be picked up, the X was marked on the wrong side of the door. For whatever <laughs> reason, his door was open. 
and the, the X was marked on the wrong side for the next morning. The hangman patrol comes through. They don't pick up Payne because they don't see that X. And this is a jailer's mistake that allowed Payne to escape those vital last few weeks for James Monroe to relieve Governor Morris, actually pressed for his release, secure it. And Payne was able to live many more years after wow. that. Wow. That did really impact his health pretty, pretty negatively, though, right, that time? It did, man. You guys did a lot of research. I'll say again, um, pain was plagued by health issues for the rest of his life. It, it's it seems pretty certain he almost died a few times after that due to complications that had transpired from his imprisonment and the conditions there. You mentioned before that there was like a rift between him and Washington, and maybe that's partly why Washington wasn't willing to bring him back or you know t- to intercede on his behalf. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, I will. So um, George Washington was a great friend of Payne. Um, John Adams, who I mentioned before, once said that um, without the the pen of Payne, the sword of Washington would have been raised in vain. Wow. Um, and what he meant by that was those two were so instrumental in winning, um, you know, independence for the, the colonies and now right. states. But what had happened there was Washington started to his ear started to be controlled by Hamilton, Jay and the Federalists, especially in their attempt to establish better relationship, a better relationship with Britain. Right. And because of that, um, Payne had kind of petitioned the administration. Get me out of here. You know, I'm an American citizen. I shouldn't be held for these these causes. And on that basis, I should be released. Governor Morris did not earnestly try to do anything in Payne's favor, more or less, and actually seemed to actually revel in the fact that Payne might be punished (laughs) by the French revolutionaries to some extent. And Payne was personally convinced that that Washington had betrayed him again on a personal level because, um, you know, he thought that Washington didn't do enough to to press his case while he was president. And it ended up that Payne wrote a scathing letter that condemned Washington and disavowed, you know, all the good things about his character and essentially said that, you know, history is going to view you as, you know, a complete imposter. And by the way, you weren't actually a good military commander, too. So. Oh, wow. <laughs> that so this part is like I agree pissing with. off Cicero. Oh, I like that. This is, this is like, <laughs> Spicy that, sounds, that sounds like pissing off Cicero. Like, why are you pissing off the man with the silver pen or tongue or whatever? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Cicero's an interesting character himself. But anyways, um, the extent to which Washington was actually privy to the specifics of Payne's condition is kind of a matter of up for debate and still disputed by various historians. Yeah, we're not talking but Brittany we do- Griner where we're getting Twitter updates until we release. Uh, oh. Oh, this is coming out the day of the prison release. Yeah. So <laughs> It's not that easy back then, yeah. right? So we do know the only time that Washington ever in any way responded to that letter was he in, in one letter, he referred to Payne's letter as Jacobin propaganda, which was oh, wow. a complete misread. He didn't understand the situation at all because, you know, the Jacobins tried to kill Payne and right. Payne was as anti Robespierre as they could be. Um, but, you know, it's not known really how much complicity Washington really had, but it severed their relationship. They never talked to each other again. Uh, Washington, I think, died in 1799, and you know, Payne had nothing good to say about him for from that point forward. 
So this wow. is the most this is the most popular person in the U.S. at the right, time. right, right, right. So you mentioned some of his contemporaries there, and I don't know if you can do this while not boring some of the listeners with a, a, a recap of the French Revolution, French <laughs> history, and the First Republic, I guess. But okay, so we've got Washington that's on this coast. Back in France, we've got Napoleon and Robespierre. Uh, he was familiar with both of them, correct? Yeah, actually, Payne had briefly befriended Napoleon, which is an avenue of his life that's not explored that commonly. I certainly do in my book, though, because Napoleon um, was enamored by by the rights of man, supposedly. He told Payne that he slept with a copy <laughs> and in trying to like heap uh, praises upon Payne, at one point he said that a golden statue of you should be built in every city on Earth. Um, he had that much <laughs> well, respect for for pain and his influence on the French Revolution. Um, the two became friends, but that friendship was severed because Payne had drawn up plans to invade England. He wanted France to freaking invade England, you know, liberate his homeland, dispose of the monarchy and replace it with a Republican system. Well, this was I regime mean, change. Even through wow. his logic, they are a French colony, correct? Is that his logic or am I thinking of somebody else historically? It, it, he did make that argument in a way in common sense because he said that, you know, the the English, the English monarchy at its root is, is a French monarchy because it was started by a bastard Frenchman, Norman, <laughs> the Normans, William yeah. the Conqueror in 1066. So on that basis, England is is a French colony, but that's not the reason he wanted it to be invaded. He just thought that monarchy in general was evil and there was none more evil than the one that had run him out of his homeland due to what he had printed. Now, what severed their relationship was when Payne was supposed to present this plan for a, a naval invasion of England, which Napoleon considered several times, if listeners don't know that, throughout the course of the Napoleonic Wars, um, he brought it to the attention of a council, a war council, like the top most elite commanders in the French military at the time that were dominating Europe, essentially, brought it to the table. Napoleon said, go ahead, Payne, explain your plan. And for whatever reason, I don't know why this is the case. Once the spotlight was on him, Payne said, well, I don't really think this will work. We actually probably have to establish a peace with England. Wow. And it's not clear why, because even after that point, he really promotes the idea of another invasion. So it's lost on me why, but that that event made Napoleon sour to him completely. He was persona non grata to Napoleon at that point. And the feeling became mutual because Napoleon established a military coup that took over the, the, the right. reins of the state in uh, 1799 called the coup of 18 Brumaire and Payne called him the most com the completest charlatan that yeah. ever existed yeah yeah he heel turned on him I guess which <laughs> you, I mean with our version of his our perspective of history you know Napoleon is always the person post that it's uh it's kind yeah. of amazing to think of Payne being so close with someone like that and if it weren't for that we wouldn't have Waterloo and we wouldn't have a fancy beef dish so uh, I guess it's a good thing they didn't do that naval yeah. invasion. Um, you know, I think we've kind of like the Wellington reference. Thank yeah. you, thank you. Uh, you you talked about the age of reason, um, and that was written being critical of religion. Now he wasn't an atheist, was he? He wasn't an atheist, but he was about as close to it as people would have been back then. I think there were atheists, but he was a deist, a self-professed deist. And um, there is a big difference between them. I mean, frankly, Payne believed in an all-powerful divine creator. 
but he didn't believe in the same kind of creator that Orthodox Christians were because Payne believed that the creator was essentially like a clockmaker, um, a creator that just created the world and left it developed to its own devices, never again intervening in it. No God can and, be responsible for this. <laughs> like, yeah, like you let never us do intending- this never intending for there to be religions as they have developed. And Tom Woods, when I was on his show, he's like, I hate the term organized religion, yeah. but that is what Payne opposed. Yeah. Um, he opposed all miraculous aspects of Christianity and other religions, um, disavowed the virgin b- birth, said that, you know, uh, the parts of the Bible weren't written at the time that they're alleged to have, that the Bible's full of contradictions, all these things That's, that are extremely That is wild to tropes. think of someone saying that then yeah it it is is, but all those are like very typical tropes of new atheism so he has influenced people like hitchens and sam harris and people like that Um, how common was deism in that time was that a pretty rare thing or was it very rare thing especially in the united states undergoing the second great awakening which was basically the biggest protestant explosion in u.s history it's hard to imagine like how much of a pariah this made him it made him a total loon to most people um it lost to many friends benjamin rush famous patriot doctor from philly said that he, you know he would never see pain again because of it samuel adams wrote him a scathing letter saying you know what are you trying to do de-christianize the most christian place on earth <laughs> wow. um there were other deists ethan allen is the only other person that i've found from the founding generation that has put in print that he was a deist although some theistic ideas i think were influential on a small number of people in the founding generation including jefferson i think his religious opinions were closest to jefferson than almost anyone else from his time i had a really lazy history teacher that tried to tell our class that every all of the founding fathers were deists and i was just like maybe jefferson like yeah and Jefferson wouldn't have even uh, never used that term to describe himself. And I found places in Jefferson's works where he says that he he prayed for godly intervention, which a deist would not have done. Yeah. So I think sure. that some of the things about deism, like the rejection of miraculous elements, was present in Jefferson, but not all things. But you're right. There, there were very few. It was very Protestant-oriented society in almost every colony. Um, very small Catholic influence, but almost all different types of Protestantism. His his father was a Quaker, right? Yeah, good call. Right. His father was a Quaker. His mother was an Anglican, but he was raised as a Quaker. And if you, if you know anything about being a Quaker, it kind of explains why he leans so heavily into natural rights, because very few people did that uh, more than Quakers did at the time. But we, we think that he lost most of his religious sensibilities in that respect in the 1780s. And in fact, he actually implies like someday I'm going to write about my ideas on religion and you'll all be blown away and, and that was true he said that in the 1780s so wow. but was, he was, a was really a, a man of a man of the enlightenment right like he was into science engineering i think he designed bridges or something like that too absolutely he was a, a bridge builder he was a very uh very brilliant architect um that stood on kind of a new frontier of iron engineering when it came to bridge making at the time most bridges were not constructed out of iron, but Payne um, was one of the first engineering pioneers that built an iron bridge. He tried to solicit um, you know, financial support to build a permanent bridge, not only in the US, but also in France and England for a time, for a period of several years. And he never really was able to do it. But um, Jefferson took a look at his works and was stunned. He thought that you know, Payne's design was fantastic. The yeah, that's from the man Payne, that invented the swivel chair. 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, he invented the silver <laughs> soul chair. They put that in the John Adams miniseries, too. Oh, I did they? That was interesting. Nice. If you see that, <laughs> yeah. Jefferson talks about that. But yeah, Payne was a man of science. He was, um, he believed in the importance of science. He actually thought that God's God's presence could be seen in the natural world. Nature and, you know, scientific discoveries proved God. That's what Payne thought. Wow. Incredible guy. I, I, I can I, see I, why you read all the stuff he wrote. <laughs> <laughs> was, when, was he in the room with Jefferson and Napoleon while the Louisiana Purchase was being negotiated or talked about? No. No. Actually, he had come back to the United States in 1802, which was prior to that. Monroe and Robert Livingston were the two primary uh, negotiators That's with right. Napoleon that solidified that eventual treaty. Um, so he had been back. His last seven years were a, a time of oddity. He settled on property given to him after the revolution as a gift for his role in the revolution um, in New Rochelle, New York, where um, he had very, very many close friends. He was tightly knit in the community. Someone tried to assassinate him oh. <laughs> um actually on christmas no oh. less wow wow um if you want to hear about that yes uh, please yeah. <laughs> we do want to hear about that <laughs> okay I believe that, in, hey. in 1805 a uh, a enraged former tenant that had been renting Payne's property during part of the time he was in france um they kind of severed their relationship because of, of a financial dispute much like many people sever sever <laughs> their relationship um, this guy named uh, Christopher Derrick went on a rum drinking binge <laughs> and appeared behind Payne's lower floor house, sh loaded his musket, shot it right through the window as Payne sat inside. Wow. The bullet missed him. And if you can believe this, he was apprehended the next day and Payne's like, that's ah, all right. Don't charge him. <laughs> wow. wow. And wow. It seems like he didn't want to rile the, um, yeah. you know, those that had already opposed him to have another reason for it and, right you know it's just a, it was an odd time for that to not be charged wow, wow. <laughs> that's incredible was. wow that's incredible well, this has been great i have a we have a couple of questions that have nothing to do with any of that i guess what before we get to that what um how so how much did you read i know you read everything that he wrote what does that mean yeah, I read everything that he wrote. The best collection with it for this is Philip Foner's two volume. Um, it's small print, and both volumes have something like fifteen hundred pages. Oh, um, he wrote so many pamphlets, but we actually don't have that many of his letters. We only have you know a few hundred of his personal letters, maybe only like one one fifty or so. And compared to like Jefferson, I think there's like twenty thousand letters. Yeah. So we know of so much more correspondence that he wrote that we just don't have records for, and that's just that sucks for a biographer yeah. yeah but you know it was four years of research i've also read basically every biography of note on him john Keynes, craig nelson's oh, right. conway's david freeman hawks all the the most prominent ones um as well wow are you considering doing an audiobook version of thank this? you alan yes that was my question because i'm a terrible reader i just i get so <laughs> locked in on what i'm reading i'm like that i, I don't remember the beginning of the sentence hold on let's go back and like i just <laughs> Good question. I would consider it. I don't have immediate plans for it, but I'm investigating options right now. I'd love to pay a contractor to do it. Yeah. I don't want to do it, and it's not because I wouldn't, but I'm actually sick of reading my book. I went through it so many times during the editorial yeah. process. As, I'm the one that edits the show every week, so I can relate. I, I hate having yeah. to listen to me. I don't want to have to do it again. Like, yeah, I get it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 
possibly in the future. It's an avenue a lot of people like to consume from, yeah. so I will consider it. Well, still, it's that a good awesome. subject to have a physical book on. And it sounds it like, is. considering that you've written it from everything available to read of him and all of the biographies of him, that's as definitive as you can get. You know, that's 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 pretty impressive. So that that's a good if you've got a if you got a history collection on this. Uh, let's get the title again, and then I still have some other questions. What was the title again? It's a yeah, a lifetime Thomas Paine, a lifetime of radicalism, and almost all of my sources cited are primary sources. I do cite some of the biographers a few times, but it's very oriented toward you know my assessment of the primary works, the original works. And forgive me for awesome. asking this, I haven't read your book yet. What's the What's the style of it? Like, how how does it, um, what could the reader expect from, like, I guess, the pacing? Um, is, is it a storytelling? Uh, the reader or? can ex- expect, like, a, a full tale of Payne's life, but with emphasis on his most political ideas and why they were significant in his time. So, um I don't really concentrate that much about like what he ate, what he drank, you know, um, some of those types of things. I talk more about his influence on politics and really the modern world. Um, The other thing that I want readers to know going into it is whether you're conservative, liberal, libertarian, whatever your political disposition, I think you'll find things that you really admire about pain and things that you really hate about pain <laughs> i think there'll be very few people that take pain and just agree with everything he thought right. and but but the point of it all is to show how successful he was in implementing those things beyond traditional politics i mean he really had no electoral success whatsoever and his ideas didn't depend on like the elevation of a particular political party right. over another Right. So, yeah, that's really admirable. And I mean, we could use someone like that in our time or at least to be familiar with their writings. Um, can I ask you a bit of a personal question? Yeah. Uh, what part of Nashville are you in? Um, Antioch. So do you oh, know where yeah. that is? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I live in Madison. You guys are in Nashville. No, area, so right? so Alan's, Alan is one of these coastal elites. He lives in San Francisco. <laughs> uh, I live in I live on the coast of the mighty Cumberland here in uh, Madison, Tennessee. But yeah, I was down mm-hmm. in Antioch earlier today doing some work, actually. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, I love the area. I've lived here for four years. It's a it's a great area. I would never li- leave nope. uh, anytime soon. I lived in Minnesota too long and too many cold, harsh winters. Yeah, I yeah, love yeah. Tennessee. Yeah, I, nice. I, I I love that this is nice and mild, right? You know. Um, I, I'm going to continue the personal questions. We ask this of all our guests. What's the stupidest thing you've ever done? <laughs> oh man. I was once a total neocon. I was cheering on the war in Iraq. Dude, what year? This happened to me too, and I hate me too. Like, and 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 I fucking hated George Bush at two thousand. When that election happened, I'm like, this is a total fraud. It was my first election. I I can tell that we're about the same age. My first election (laughs) was George Bush versus Gore, and I I. I, I did, doesn't matter who I voted for. That was a freaking fraud. Like that was, or it was a, a sham. And uh, you know, his cousin in Florida tipped it his way. Blah blah blah, or that, whatever. Um, that's right. separate. I don't think it's his cousin. I, I forget. Whatever. Um, but but the point in the Brooks brothers. Yes. Um, but but by two thousand, like mid about two thousand three. I don't know. I had turned, and I don't know if it was me living in San Francisco and being surrounded by all the like you know, extreme opposite of that, then maybe be like, nah, fuck you guys. I, I still protested against the war in Iraq and I voted for George Bush in 2004. I cannot make sense of myself. 
<laughs> it was so embarrassing, man. I would attend these pro-American rallies, which really looking back, they were anti-American as can be, <laughs> mm. cheering on the war and mocking anti-war protesters who I would be alongside with now. Right, right. And really just parroting Richard Pearl, yes. uh, Paul Wolfowitz <laughs> talking points. It is so embarrassing oh. and disgusting. I have a memory of being oh, at a, a college party fight, not fighting, but arguing too much. Like, I know my face was red saying, you don't understand. If we make a depression here in Iraq, we'll draw in all the, uh, the, 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 the terrorists in the area We'll just clean them all up there We'll fix Iraq And then afterwards There'll be no problem in the Middle East Labor <laughs> hands All is good All good Walk change. away Let's go Oh fuck There's so many dead people Because of that logic But it's not on our hands um, oh, wow. I hate to laugh But probably, it's true That's, that's so probably true. the best answer We're ever going to get to that question Thank that, you for that. that was a great answer yeah. Great story Yes. Where do you want people to find you? Socials uh, Websites uh, What do you got? Yeah, at dbenner83 on Twitter. I tweet a lot. I'm irreverent as pain, or I try to <laughs> nice, be at least. Nice. I aspire to be. Um, but get the book at davidbenner.square.site. That's my store where you can order the book. I can personalize copies. I'll personalize it any way you want within reason. I won't put Nancy Pelosi rules <laughs> or uh, Kanye West 2024 oh, or Azov Battalion Forever. I won't do any of these. Uh, but I will personalize them. Would love to you to get it there. What's the site um, again? What's the site again? Because I don't want people to forget because that was fucking yeah. hilarious. But... And we'll put it in the show notes <laughs> yeah. too. What's the site again? DavidBenner.square.site. Perfect. And like, there's no reason not to just buy a book from a site like that. Like, if I if I like to buy a new uh, vinyl, I buy it from the band. Like, this is the same thing as that. You don't have to get everything from Amazon. It's it's going to go through PayPal probably to check out. Like, it's easy. It's nothing. It'll be done by my hand. I'll sign it. Yeah. Um, I do benefit more from it. Um, yeah, it's that's on awesome. Amazon. If read if uh, listeners like it, please leave me a review on there too. But would love for you to pick up a copy. They make great Christmas gifts. Um, thanks for considering it. Yeah, of course. Hey, thanks for coming on the show, man. This is a blast. It is. Thanks for letting me uh, rattle off about one of my favorite topics, and I hope uh, people took uh, interesting things from it. It's great talking to someone who's passionate about something as much as this. Thanks, man. Thank, Thank you, you too. Cheers. Have a great night. You too. Y'all let me in this damn house. Oh, how about that? Come in the name of peace. L-M-F-A-O. Is Kevin McCarthy a moron? And if so, why? Why would you say something that stupid? I come without explanations or solutions. I'm a very sexy lady. <laughs> how great an anti-American Marxist. Ted Cruz, go fuck yourself. Read the news. God bless the United States. <laughs> Podcasting.